So I've spent most of the last month promoting my new book, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. And when I say promote, I mean promote. More than 150 TV, radio, and podcast interviews, five excerpts, guest columns, blog posts, on and on and on and on and on. And it's exhausting and exhilarating and soul-sucking and inspiring. And I've been asked by a bunch of people to consider doing an episode of this podcast strictly on promoting a book how I go about it, what I'm thinking, the goals, the approach. So that's what you're about to hear. A quirky episode of Two Writers Singing Yang, where my wife, the author Catherine Perlman, comes back to talk strictly about book PR and how to go about it. I hope it's helpful. I think it's helpful. And next week, we'll return with another new guest. So truly, listen and maybe learn a little bit from my many trials and errors and some successes. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Singing Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode features eh, me and the wife again, talking book PR to the max. This is episode number 176. Let's sing some Yang. Okay, so I'm back with Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Earl. And I've actually had a lot of requests um, to do a podcast specifically about book PR and the lengths one goes through um, to promote a book. And I think I've written nine books. You've written a book. We've definitely worked hard at promoting. That is true. And so as I sort of fade away from this book, basically you get, uh, to quote the great Lee Monfield, you basically, you work on a book for, you're in a cave for two years and then you get two weeks in the sun and then you go back into the cave. And I feel like I'm about to go back in the cave. Um, you pop out every now and then for a little thing, but basically you spend two weeks or so promoting hard and then you kind of fade away. Uh, I end up doing about, I would say 150 different interviews. I think this is the hardest I've ever worked to promote a book. Um, do you feel like it makes that big of a difference? I, I mean, I really do. First of all, I think everything matters. You really don't know what's going to be the thing that leads to another thing and another thing. And sometimes a small outlet is really intense, though. Like people are very connected to that Instagrammer or that radio host or that podcast. And they may have a smaller following, but those people are really interested in whatever that host says. And then they really buy the book, you know, so you can't really tell. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting. I guess we could start with this. I wrote my first book. My first book came out in 2004. It was called The Bad Guys One. It was about the 86 Mets. And it was so, so different then. My, my publisher was HarperCollins. They gave you a publicist. You had a lot of one-on-one time with your publicist. It was like a publicist given to you, basically, to promote this book. Because back then, you couldn't actually do much yourself. Like now, it's a totally different ballgame where you actually sure. can schedule. You can directly yeah. interact with people. Whereas before, I felt like it was really, you need to have an inroad with you know, different radio and TV and whatever. Yeah, now but they also different. they also put in a lot more money into promoting a book. Like they just, publishing companies had more money and they put a lot more money into PR. So they actually would have an advertising budget and they would spend money on outside publicists sometimes to help out. And it was pretty hardcore. And that first book, so it's, it's only 16 years ago. I guess that is a long time ago, but 16 years ago, the entire goal was, and sounds quaint, is to get newspaper articles on your book. Like maybe People Magazine does a blurb. 
hopefully you get Sports Illustrated mentions it. And you wanted a print excerpt somewhere, you know, like a print excerpt. And none of those things carry that much weight anymore. Oh, Not the same degree. Tell me, why do you disagree? Because I think that there are people who don't read the newspaper, but read podcasts. There are people who, read podcasts. I mean, who listen to podcasts. There are people who read magazines, but, you know, don't listen to podcasts. Like, you have to reach people in a variety of ways. And I think big and small, I think print, it still does matter. Some people will see that in a doctor's office and they're like, yes. And they're sitting there waiting and they order your book right then. Whereas you might flash on the Today Show, someone's busy making breakfast for their kids. They don't have time to order your book. Like, yeah, it's a great, you know, audience and it might be a great segment, but people aren't ordering your book right then. So I don't know. I don't think you can pinpoint it's this is the biggest thing. Well, I think there are things that matter more and matter less. For example, wait, the best example I use is eight or nine years ago when my Walter Payton book came out, Sports Illustrated ran an excerpt on the cover. And that was it. Like that was the big get. A Sports Illustrated cover as an excerpt is insane. And it was the money thing and it was really exciting and oh my God and oh my God. And you recently had Kristen Bell, the actress Kristen Bell, tweet uh, put on Instagram about your book. I would argue there's more value in Kristen Bell raving about a book on Instagram than a Sports Illustrated cover in 2020. Okay, well, I can tell you for sure it's not true. So Kristen Bell uh, put me in her Instagram stories, mm -hmm. and she bragged about how the book was already working and was amazing on Today's Show with uh, Jenna Bush Hager, yep. and I got a teeny tiny little blip. Maybe I sold 100 books. Okay, great. My book's been out a, a long time. But it wasn't books. a new book. I'm saying 100 yeah. books isn't nothing, okay? But it wouldn't have mattered if that was a new book. The people who were hearing it, it's for the first time. I, my book could have come out a couple of weeks ago. But there was a woman who maybe she had 30,000, 40,000 followers on Instagram at the time. She, a year after my book came out, she talked about how my book helped her in her stories. And she sold almost a thousand. In her books. Instagram stories. In her Instagram stories, okay. she sold a thousand books. She was unbelievable. She talked about how it helped her kids. She was very specific. People follow her because they have young kids because they like books. So she did ten times more than Kristen Bell did. So you just sometimes really don't know. Okay, my point isn't actually about Kristen Bell, not Kristen Bell. My point is being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, which is now a not that heavily read. Sure. Um, every other week. Twice a month magazine probably sells maybe 30 books. I would argue that getting a big person to, you know, a social media quote unquote influencer has a lot more potential for people going straight to the link. Well, that, to me, that's what it's really about is that when it's in print, whether it's a newspaper or magazine, there's no link right there. Same thing with being on the Today Show or being on TV or radio. It's all good. So, you know, it's like getting your word out. But to me, having it, on the internet, whether it's like, you know, on Facebook or uh, wherever, or someone can literally click through an audio book because we're, we're impulsive people these days. You know, uh, we just want like do things quickly. So I think that stuff is really very beneficial and it's kind of hard to measure versus print. But I think the problem with print is you can't get it right then. You have to yeah, go make and, extra steps and we well, don't do that anymore. And the other problem is print is kind of dead. Like people aren't reading magazines as much. It's just not, actually they're not picking up newspapers. Um, if you can get a link, uh, in the LA Times, and they actually online, and they have a link direct to the to your uh, order page. It's huge. Um, I was going to kind of break down a little bit of how I promoted this book and some of the devices I used and what worked and what didn't. Um, one of the all right, so multiple ideas I've stolen from a lot of people. One from you that you did with your book, 
than I did with my USFL book and then with this book that did not re reap that many rewards this time. It worked much better last time for me was this idea I would send a book and like a t-shirt to influences or so influencers or celebrities. So I did that with the USFL and I had a lot of people uh, tweet about it, post with wearing the t-shirts, stuff like that. I had like turtle from Entourage, a uh, bunch of you know TV people and they were really into it. So I tried that again this time and I did, I tried to find like uh, big time Laker fans. So I did Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I did Ice Cube. I sent one to Chuck D. Who actually wrote me a really nice note today. Um, different people, right? So about 20 different people, big Laker fans. So I thought, if one of these people gets a book and posts on Instagram or Twitter about it, that's a huge, huge boom for me, right? And Hound uh, Mifflin, my publisher, did agree to reimburse me for postage. But I did pay for the t-shirts uh, and the boxes we paid for. Everything. Yeah, well, we are married, so it's not, it's not, not both our money. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and um, I got almost nothing out of it. This time, it was a total bust. And I sent it to, like, Carmen Electra, who dated Dennis Rodman. Um, the problem, though, with super famous people, it's a crapshoot because yes. a lot of them get paid to post. Uh, interesting. So, you know, uh, you know, sometimes people will just do it out of the goodness of their heart. In my case, I think with Kristen Bell, she was actually using it mm -hmm. with her kid, so it was appropriate. But I think that's kind of, you never know. But I also think there's... It's not a bad idea. It doesn't hurt. can't hurt. I don't think it can hurt. And honestly, for all you know, one of those people didn't post, but they told somebody else who told somebody else. And and, and things kind of spiral. And you, you don't always know the impact that something has. Sometimes you don't see it for a year. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, wow, I can't believe it. Yeah, I guess. It just it feels a little like it didn't work out that great, which is okay. Because you have to try different things and you try different things. The other thing... I mean, there were a bunch of things I did that went poorly this time. There were things that went well, things that went well. Here are the things that went poorly. I hired someone to redo my website, and she sucked. And it freaking sucked. And I paid $3,000, which is just not bang for the buck money these days. And Well, it's definitely not bang for the buck if she didn't do it. No, but even a website just isn't nearly as important now as it was 10 years ago. It's not a good way. It's not the same anymore. People don't go to a website and scroll through a website and read all the different contours of websites. This doesn't happen anymore. So I think that was poor money spent. Um, MC Whiteout, who I love, did a song for me. He's done songs for four of my books. It's very useful. It's very cool. I've never paid him in the past, but he needed to. And I probably should have, actually. And he needed studio time this time to do it. And he asked. He said it was 400 for studio time. He didn't charge me for the work just for studio time. And I love having that song to use. I use it on all my different videos. Does it pay off financially? I don't know. That's kind of cool. But that's one thing I do. Yeah, uh, but I feel like that's, you're not doing that particular thing for a return on your investment. Like you're doing the sending the books out, sure. things like that. But that's something fun you do with him and right. you really like to have the songs. And so I think that's a little bit different. Yeah, I agree. And I love the guy, obviously. And that's um, well, cool. There's a song about your book. It's yeah, right. Um, the website killed me. I really do think, I think it's very interesting. I'll actually tell what happened. I hired someone. She was recommended. She got on other journalist sites. She was talented, but she really struggled with, um, I was on GoDaddy and she could never adjust to the server. And then she couldn't do the technical side, basically. She, it was very disappointing. And she wrote, she made this beautiful site and I couldn't use it. And I ended up making one of the big mistakes in my life because I paid her when she was 90% done. I'm shaking my head for the viewers at home. What? Because you never pay till you're done. I, I know. Yeah. So stupid. And I'm pissed because if you look at my website now, it fucking sucks. I hate that. So whatever. 
I don't think no, that hurt the book. Not, not hurt the even book. remotely. No, but I shouldn't have spent the money on a website. Okay, stupid. but that has nothing to do with the book, honestly. You're actually giving me the wrap this part up sign, but I think it's important. Never pay until you, the work is done. It was like a rookie mistake to um, All right. Here are the most important things, I think. Number one, when you have a book coming out, you have to call in every favor. Every you favor. You have to be shameless, and it's embarrassing and painful, but you have to do it. have to. So I reach out to everyone, and I've been around long enough where I know lots of people. Like, well, I also want to say, like, when you're promoting a book, you have to be embarrassingly shameless and just pull all that stuff. But then you have to be a giving person other times in the year. Like, I think you and I both, you know, anybody yeah. asked me for pretty much anything, post, blur, but okay, you know, you give because you know how hard it is and you hope that that'll come around at some point to you. That's just, you know, you do and someone does for you later on. Well, early in my career, my first book, uh, I asked Mitch Album for a blurb for the Bad Guys one, and I was told Mitch doesn't do blurbs. I've always remembered that. Like, I understand if you don't have time or if you're on a deadline or blah blah blah, but like, that's that's shit. I just hate that. I yeah, think you, we he are, needs blurbs just like everybody exactly, else, and we're all in the same business. Like, we're all in the same business, and yeah. and when I was like, so now I'm I'm not saying I'm Mitch Album, but now I'm in a stat, have an established career, and people come for me for blurbs, and I remember what it was like when I was yeah. young and getting blurbs. It sucks. So you should help everyone. Um, but asking for favors, but I do think there's a way to go about it. Like I hate when people say, um, "Feel free to feel free to tweet this out." I hate that so I know, much. That stuff bothers you, but you know what? There's no nice way to. Yeah, ask there me. is. Everybody has their tail between their legs. It's embarrassing. You ask for I know, it. So only embarrassment. Like I always say, and because I, I mean it, one million percent. I always say, I hate asking this. It's completely humiliating. But blah blah blah. blah well, blah. your way of saying it is that, and other people say. If, if it, you know, feel free, they're just saying, you know, don't feel pressure or whatever. I mean, Ugh. I get why it bothers you, but it really shouldn't. You get bothered if people, you know, ask to be on your podcast, but you're saying you do the same thing to other I don't people. Get, wait, I don't get bothered. I just, um, I'm a little reluctant when people ask. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. They say they have a book coming out, they want to be on your podcast. It, I, it's just we're all, everybody's hustling. That's the thing. I guess. And, you know, it, it's. I just like sincerity. And I feel like you should at least be, just be sincere about it. Just be like, sure. I don't know. I know what you're saying. But the thing. Bottom line is, you got to call in every favorite thing. And I um, I called in so many favors for this. And number, number, another thing is I think is important. I made it very clear from the beginning, I'll appear on anyone's show. I'll appear on any podcast. If you have a blog, I'll do an interview for the blog. I would do anything. I and feel the same. Of course. Um, and and I, it's a little embarrassing to tweet that for the 23rd time. Hey, just reminder, blah, blah, blah. But like, I ended up being on some kid at Walla Walla University's blog. Uh, podcast, he was great. I did Fordham University podcast, great. Uh, student journalist from UConn interviewed me, he was great. Some of the best questions I actually got were from student journalists who aren't so sort of cliche, you know, beaten yeah. down by the cliche of it all. And they're great. I don't know how many that sells or if it sells any or whatever, but it can't, it can't hurt. Yeah, but my thing that I always say to you is I agree when, you're, when you're done, you know, when you're two weeks, three weeks are up, Whatever your book did, you want to say, I put it all out on the table. When my book, at the end, I could not have done more. I was exhausted. I did everything within my power, and then it sold what it sold. And that's what you want to look back and say, I've done it all. And you did. You tried everything. Yeah. You open yourself up. It's exhausting. And then you can look back and say, I did what I could. That's it. Yeah, that is true. Um, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm actually beaten down. I, and it's a weird thing. I, we've talked about this. It's so weird. You... It's so like if I have to ask, if I have to answer the question, so why'd you write a book about this era? Again, I'm going to stab myself. But 
I know kind of heading into this week, I'm pretty much done asking those questions and it's another book in my past. Mm -hmm. And there's something really sad about that too. And watching it, and we talk about this all the time, refresh, 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 like on Amazon, like I peaked, I didn't peak, I didn't peak quite as high as I was hoping for, but I I had a good high in the, I think 44 or 43 or something, but I was in the top hundred for a good stretch of time. Yeah. And then you start seeing it go down. So then you go from 44 to 70, 70 to 83, 83 to 90. And then you're no longer in the top 100. You're like, oh, shit. And you're at 104, 107. And now I'm probably like five something. And you're not going high. You're probably not going higher than I get. And it is a, um, it's one of my least favorite parts of the world. You're the like, ugh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And you're like, wait, it's over. My book is going, you yeah. know, it, it is kind of hard. One thing that I did a ton with my book that, you did a little bit with this one, but I really worked my butt off for was I went through my book and I came up with, you know, 20, 25 articles that I could write off of my book. Yeah. So, you know, some of them would be maybe like an article summarizing my whole book. And one might be one small, tiny topic in my book that became an article. And I did end up writing 20 to 25 articles. I was brain dead. I thought I already wrote 60,000 words. I can't imagine writing more, but I did. And, you know, those all went out in the world. Did it make a splash? I don't know. But again, you, you know, you have to do things. And I think repurposing what you've written in your book is a good way to do that. I agree. I did uh, two of those. I did. I wrote a column for Deadspin, which, by the way, got me a lot of backlash from former Deadspin staff. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I did a, a piece for Deadspin about sort of the complications of, of writing with Kobe, writing about Kobe after his death. I did another one for a, a basketball site run by Alex Kennedy about Shaq being the greatest teammate of all time. The number one most important thing, but one most important things promoting a book, number one by far for me with a bullet is getting the link to your order page in front of as many people as okay. possible. It's just by far number one. And what you have is, um, I just think Amazon, even though Amazon is flawed a million ways over, there's something about Amazon that dictates the tone of how you're doing. People look at Amazon. Like I had so many people be like, during this book, man, your book is selling great. You're a, you're a bestseller, right? Mm-hmm. And what it is, it says number one in basketball books yeah, on Amazon. But that stuff actually impacts the way people perceive it, right? So I was always like, and publishers hate this because they have to have relationships with the other, mm-hmm. uh, with Barnes and Noble and Books a Million, all those places. But um, I was always like, yeah, make it the Amazon, make it the Amazon. Yeah, but that was that. That's what's interesting. For those 20, 25 articles I wrote, maybe half of them were booked through the publisher and half were booked through me. The ones that were booked through the publisher, they always link to Penguin Random House. Yeah, so annoying. Link to, you know, the various different, and it, it, oh. it is so annoying. I agree, but I didn't have any control of that. When it's my control, then I can do Amazon. When I, when I was writing for God, when I wrote Sweetness, I worked with a publicist. She was the worst, the worst the worst ever and um i wrote some stuff and they insisted the link had to go to the gotham order page right yeah and i was like are you fucking kidding me you're actually making people work more to buy this book because they're not going to order it from gotham they're not going to do that they're going to find amazon so by far most importantly don't make people work you want to make it as easy as possible so get them to the amazon page it has to be the barnes and noble page fine or if it's a page on your website that goes immediately that's six different links to the bookstores i guess it's okay but you want to make it as easy as possible. And um, my biggest thing that I'm a huge proponent in, and if you're an author, you will find that your publicists and your publishing companies do not agree with this, but I'm telling you they're wrong, is you need as many excerpts as possible, right? As many excerpts as possible. And you need as many excerpts at many different places as possible. And the 
But the publicist is going to say is, no, that's a mistake. Because why should they buy the book? I have found, and I'm certain of this, most people are not jumping around and reading different excerpts and saying, oh, Literally, I read this there's here. There's probably one person who's Googling to get all the excerpts. Right. Every other person's like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to buy the book. Right. Because most people are, yeah, most people aren't going to ESPN and SI.com and so on and so on. So for this book in particular, I gave, well, first the LA Times was supposed to run an excerpt. They ended up doing a story instead. That annoyed me, but it happens. The first excerpt was ESPN.com. And my publishing company, not happy because I gave them 6,000 words. Yeah, this would be like 1,500. <laughs> it was supposed to be 1,500. My, my publicist is the best. She's the best. Her name's Megan Wilson. She's as good as anyone I've ever worked with. And she was like, Jeff, Jeff, seriously, 6,000 words. And I was like, blame me. And she could blame me because it was my fault. But they wanted it. I just wanted it to be a really good excerpt. And ESPN was cool. They linked on the, mm-hmm. on the top of it. And that, that really took off sales in a huge way. So I did that one. Then later on, I had SI.com do an excerpt. I had Hoops Hype do an excerpt. I had um, SB time. Lakers Nation do an excerpt. What? Time. No, Time did a story. Yeah. Sean Gregory did a story time. So I guess I had like five excerpts run at different places. And again, every time, the one thing you have to make sure is it has the link to the um, order page and you want the link to be on top. You don't want people to have to get to the bottom of the excerpt. I've never seen it on top. Oh, ESPN does it on top. In fact, I think everyone is trying to do it. I always put it on top. Well, I usually link it, you know, when it's, I guess in the the bio, I guess it depends on where they Mm -hmm. put it. But you did excerpt, but for me, sometimes I think um, writing stories off the book or in some other way is better than excerpts can be because an excerpt is part of a bigger work. And sometimes just the excerpt, it doesn't, it's not, there isn't a beginning, middle and an end, or it doesn't fit, Not really right? with sports though. Yeah, maybe because with sports, sports. You, you're, it's all seasonal based anyway. So you can take a moment or a game. Or I something, guess. Yeah. For know. me, like I felt like the things I wrote uh, originally were better than the excerpts. Right. So um, the one thing with excerpts that you have to do in a sort of be honest world is you, you, if you commit to ESPN getting first excerpt, you tell ESPN, I'm going to give you guys first. And everyone else, you have to say, listen, ESPN got first, but I can give you a original content. Yeah, especially because whoever's getting it first is paying. So it's, you really can't. Oh, I also had the, it's funny. Here's a funny thing. I had the Orange County Register and all the different Southern California newspapers out here do like five days in a row of excerpts. And they paid for it. I think they paid 2500 It goes to the publisher, not to me. And um, No, it's off of your... Oh, uh, yeah, I know, but I've never seen that money. Not, but um, I think that did nothing. I actually, and when I when I agreed to it, I just think people don't read newspapers like they used to. And I, I don't it, agree. I think actually, mm, I didn't see much of a bump, much of a bump off of that. I don't think you can tell us if there's five so. heard a lot of things coming. We out. can agree to disagree, yes. but you were wrong. So, but but even if you think it didn't, sure, do a lot, it. you'd still do it again. Of course, I would. So, um, excerpts are hugely important. Before we continue with two writers singing in, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my son, Emmett, who's a huge fan of 503 Sports, his favorite place for throwback jerseys. No, Dad, it's true. I do love throwback jerseys, especially the USFL gear I get at 503-sports.com, but I'm even a bigger fan of has-beens. You mean has-been leagues like the USFL and the XFL? Not exactly. Has-been players like Harold Miner and Dickie Simpkins? No, not that either. What I really like to watch are has-been authors whose books plummet from number 44 to number, let's see, oh, 965th on Amazon. 
Have I ever told you you were adopted? Molly Knight wrote a great book about the Dodgers years ago. And uh, Molly did something and I stole it. I told her long ago, like, I stole it for US Adopted too. I love this. So basically put set up on Twitter, she will sign a book link, which is basically a sticker you put in the front of the book and the author signs it. If you order the book early and you send her a proof of purchase, uh, texting or, via, or emailing, she will send you a signed book plate uh, and a sticker of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. So I put that up there. For my USFL book, I probably sold 600 books. I would say for this book, I probably sold 900 books. Um, it is a major pain in the ass. Like, it is a major pain in the yeah. ass. I sit there for hours and hours and hours watching entourage reruns and signing. But look at how effective it was. That's because you oh. had so many. Yeah, and also look how many entourage reruns I've gotten to watch. How lucky. Yeah. But um it's a it's a really smart idea. It was Molly maybe she got it from someone else, but I learned yeah, it from Molly. I know a lot of and um it's just really smart. And you know, like it seems like you know, bigger topic, more sales, more people are interested. So I got that really resulted in a ton of just orders, pre orders, and I'm I still kind of doing it. I have all the stickers that I ordered. And one thing I will say about this whole thing, you have to spend money to you have you're gonna have to spend money out of your own pocket. You just do. Now, it depends how much you want to spend. You set a budget. But promoting a book isn't cheap. You know, um, it costs money. It costs a lot of money. For me, like I bought the stickers. Again, Hunter Mifflin. Uh, well, Hunter Mifflin is paying for the postage. Yeah, but I mean, still, I paid for a lot of postage. And I also gave away some of my own books. Yeah. I even bought some of my own books when they get, you know, go on sale, you know, as you have too. Yeah. You know, and you send out your own copies. So, you know, that, that costs money. But I don't think that's. Honestly, I think if you didn't do the stuff that costs money, you could still do well with promotion. Something that you don't do as much that I've seen a lot of other people do more recently is they, and you've done a little bit like this with an email, but they kind of ahead of time have a promotion team where they ask people if they want to be part of the launch team and they create a Facebook page just for them. And they basically ask them on the day of the book, can you please post? Here's some, here are some good images or take a picture of yourself with the book. Sometimes they get um, early access to the book uh, or advanced copies or whatever. And, you know, these are friends and family, but also people in the business or whatever genre you're in. And um, I think it's kind of good because you could get 150 people mm-hmm. posting about your book. Because honestly, you have tons of friends and family that don't know that that would be helpful. You know, the, the, they would do it if you asked them. Well, I do always send... That's right, you send it as an email. So I do, like, in fact, your sister Leah was the first person who really gave me the boost on this. Like, um, I always do the day the book is being released or the night before, I send an email literally to everyone I know, you know, blind CC, uh, hey. And it's always, I never want to, I never want to directly ask people to buy a book. It just feels presumptuous and you don't know what people are going through and like, you know, financial times are tough and blah, blah, blah. So I'm never like, do me a favor and buy the book. I always make it more like, look, I have a book coming out. Like for this one, I wrote a letter and I said, basically, I know it's really hard times. Um, I have a book coming out. It's about the Lakers from 9604. I think it's a nice trip through nostalgia. If you know anyone who's interested or blah, blah. And I always say, um, if you know someone who would want it signed, I'd be happy to sign it. And if you could share this with your friends, I'd really bust my ass in this book and it would mean a lot to me. You know, I never want to be like, please buy my book. Buy my book. You should buy my book. Great. Yeah, buy my book. I would never. even say... 
if you if you can't get it from the library and tell friends. I do say that. You know, I it doesn't even that. matter. Right. Or go to the bookstore and post a picture. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Right. right. Um, it's just more exposure and people are like, oh, hey, what's that book you posted about? Right. Exactly. So um, I do a lot of that, a lot of word of mouth. I, and the thing is you want it, you want as many people, I think, you want a big boom at the beginning. Like you want a book to catch fire at the beginning. And people go, whoa, look at that. You know, like I'm not a huge fan of, and I've experienced it both ways, promoting four weeks ahead of time, three weeks ahead of time. Once it's a week and a half to two weeks ahead of time, I start up a little bit. Yeah. But I like the sort of impact rush. Now, I think so too. the thing I've never had, um, and I don't really know how to do it, but and we've talked about this, I never had the Michael Lewis book. I've never had like the Seabiscuit. Well, it's such a minority of people who do. I know. But I'm saying like, I've had books that have sold really, really well. Right? I've had books that have been high New York Times and great and blah, blah, blah. I've never had a book that lasts long. That's the one thing I can't figure out. Like how, like now Michael Lewis is Michael Lewis and he's in the industry and he puts out a book and people know it's Michael Lewis and that alone. But there's something about Moneyball as an example, which stuck around and stuck around and stuck around and stuck around. And that is, if you can figure that out, how to have a book last. Because I know how to get a book to sort of rock it off to a quick start. Like I feel like I know a lot of tricks for that. I don't know sustainability that way. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of factors. Also, I've heard like you're writing about team sports with a lot of people. I've heard, you know, books that are about a boxer or a, you know, a small team or something, you know, some other thing. There's some other factors that go into like Moneyballs is not is about, you know, the behind the scenes mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know. I just think that there are Seabiscuit, you know, there's a lot of factors about which books make it, what's happening in the world, who the person is what one person gets it. You know, it's, there's so many things, but your books do pretty well considering you're not oh, yeah. Michael Lewis. And, um, you know, it's all relative. I always say this to you. It's like, I look to someone and I'm like, gosh, I wish I could be like them. And somebody's looking to me and saying, oh, I wish I could do what she did. And, you know, I'm all the way down the line. So, um, you know, you've got to be proud of what you, again, you put it all on the table. You can only do so much. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, one thing I always do is I always email everyone who is in the book. I don't get, we don't, as an author, you don't get enough copies to give everyone a free book. And I always make that clear in the email I send. But also the day the book is coming out, I, I email all the people I interviewed and I say, hey, in case, just in case you don't remember me, my name is Jeff Perlman. I interviewed for this book. It's coming out. I wish I could get everyone a free copy, but I can't. But here's the Amazon link. I do always do that. But here's the Amazon link. And if you want to get it, you know, blah, 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 blah. And um, I don't know. It's just, I just think ultimately it's so... It's basically two weeks of shamelessness. Which I find really hard. I'd rather go on a million radio shows. I'd rather write a million articles. But asking people to do reviews, asking people to post is like the worst. I find it so hard. Yeah, it's not the best. Um, I would say one area that definitely helps and that I have in my world that you didn't have in your world. Sports Talk Radio is great. And to me, the big guns where you really see a bounce... Like doing Colin Coward, you see a huge bounce when you do I did it, you see a huge bounce. Um, Dan Patrick, you do it, you see a bounce. Rich Eisen, you do it, you see a bounce. Jim Rome, you do it, you see a bounce. There are certain radio stations, if you can get on, you see a huge bounce. And the longer they keep you on, obviously, the better. And, you know, you want to tell fresh stories. You want to be engaging. You want to have sort of interesting things to say. You don't just want to be a boring author. Um, oh, and the other thing also, I just think social media, like – you have to engage people. The one thing I've learned through the years 
I really have it. I've changed drastically. You want people to feel like they're on a journey with you, okay. writing the book. The more you can feel like they're on a journey with you, and a lot of times people end up giving you good material. But like, I wasn't going to tell anyone when I was writing the Bo Jackson book because I'm a little paranoid. And then David Cohn on a Yankee broadcast outed, you. outed me. And I, it's actually, I think, great. And I've already had people saying, oh, you know who you should talk to? And you know who you should talk to? And I do feel like it all builds up. And if people feel like they've been on this two-year journey for you, with you, when you have the book coming out, they want to buy it. And they're excited to buy it. And they'll tell yeah. you, I've been waiting for this book for X number of years. I think, too, people can see when you're genuine about sharing. Like, I think that you do these podcasts, even this podcast, you're doing to help other people promote their book. You know, that's what it's really about or share your writing. And when someone asks you for a favor, you know, nine times out of 10, you do it. And for me, like I try to be a good colleague. I try to be a good, you know, person in my community in terms of um, promoting other people's things. And people remember people a hundred percent remember, Oh, that was so kind of you, what you posted. And then they'll post for you. And that's not like, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, when you do tit for tat, it's not like that. It's just, it's being a good person within your community. And that's, that's what you do. And you don't mind doing it for someone else. And then, you know, someone else doesn't mind doing it for you. So I think that's the same with engaging with, you know, readers or people on Instagram or whatever, you know, being a real human being and being a person who has time for other people, I think goes a long way. I mean, the one thing I've learned in my career, one, I hear what people say the one thing, one of the things I've learned in my career, um, this is not a competition. And it took me a long time to get to that point. It's not a competition. I'm not competing against other people with sports books out there. And I'm not rooting against them. And I'm not trying to do better than them. I'm just, I want my book to do as, as well as it can. Are you like, I feel like you're thinking. <laughs> I'm trying to do better. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's such a weird phenomenon where it's like. Well, you're more competitive than I am. I'm not a competitive person. Maybe. It's not even that I want to do better. I just want my book to do the best it's like it's so weird you know you work on something and and you've written many books so maybe you feel differently I've only written one and so that's like my baby and you know just like you said why does one book make it and another one doesn't make it as much or whatever um so I think it's hard to not be competitive you could be happy for someone else and also competitive at the same time I just I'm not trapped I'm just, I feel like my days of being an asshole in journalism, I hope, are over. Like, Hallelujah. No, but I don't mean like being an asshole, like writing in a, a heated opinion or something. I just mean like, again, when I was coming up, I viewed everyone else as my yeah. rivals. Yeah. I definitely don't feel that way anymore. I think it's yeah, stupid. Yeah, for everybody. No, that's like, uh, it is. yeah, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Although there's like, uh, what was that kid, the book when uh, the frog was hopping and the, there's room for everybody. I have no idea. It was a kid's book. Remember, he was the frog who raced, and he looked funny in his hippie hoppy suit. Oh, yeah. Finkelhopper? Yeah, Finkelhopper, Finkelhopper, Finkelhopper frog. Okay. There's room for everyone. You know um, that saying, uh, rising tide raises all boats? Yeah. I never heard that till like, a year ago. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's so smart. And that's that's how I feel. Yeah. No. I just, so I, I don't, I don't feel, I will, I will happily, you know, on this podcast, I never talk about other books, sports books that come out the same time as mine. I'm not. I don't think people decide well, I'm buying this one or that one or yeah. you know, that author or that author. I don't know. Um, I feel like walking away from this book, I feel a little battered. I feel like it came out of – it. definitely – I've been asking people this past year on my podcast, what's it like having a book come out during the pandemic? And now I know exactly what it's <laughs> like. It sucks. 
I don't know, Earl. No, it sucks. It sucks. You know what it is? Wait, time out. I take that back. During a presidential election, I feel like it's hard. And you go in books. When I I went the other day to Chevaliers in LA, all the books out are Trump politics, all of them. If you look in the bestseller list, I do feel like it is just a monopoly of books now are about, especially nonfiction books, are about um, politics. And it is really hard. Like, I've gone on uh, Morning Joe, I think, my last three books. Not a sniff in style. Yeah. No political shows there. I have always been on other political shows. It would be like, and now, aside, blah, blah, blah. Talk about sports and Kobe Bryant. Nothing. And I actually thought, because of Kobe Bryant's death and this book coming out, there was like an interesting tie talking about his legacy and blah, blah, blah. Nothing. Yeah. I just think that was the biggest thing. And I, um, the other thing, actually, we never we didn't talk about that's new to this our world is... So I've made the New York Times bestseller list six out of my first eight books. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And this one, the, the New York Times changed. Actually changed. The changed for the second time. Yeah. So New York Times bestseller list, what they used to have is they have the one through 15 is the one you see in the paper. But then they have, they actually track 16 through 25. So if you make the top 25, you're actually a bestseller. Then. Yeah, but they call it a bestseller. <laughs> they call it the saying. extended bestseller list, but you can put it on your book as yeah. bestseller. Then they have monthly topical bestseller lists. So my USFL book was a bestseller, but it was a bestseller in sports. It still counts as a bestseller. Uh-huh. Well, they eliminated all that. Then now they only have the one through 15. I asked my agent, David, the great David Black, why they did that. And he said because it was it was uh, watering down. Diluting down the specialness <clears throat> of being. On the bestseller list. Uh-huh. And um it's funny because I talked to my friend Jonathan Igg, who's a great writer and has been on the list about it. And we agreed, like, the thing that is frustrating about that is a really rewards celebrity. And Elma Rosa is making the bestseller list and you're not. Right, or like Candace Owens is mm-hmm. on the bestseller list. Sean Hannity is on the bestseller list. And I'm not even, I can't stand their opinions. I'm not taking anything away from them professionally. They're probably not writing their books, you know, or they probably have mm-hmm. someone doing it with them at the least. And, but they have the power of that celebrity that comes with it. And they're a lot like we were talking about David Marinus is one of the best writers in the world, far superior to me, multiple New York Times bestseller list. And he's going to have trouble now, just like I am, just like I is, just like everyone is, because it no longer exists. And that New York Times bestseller list is a freaking dangling carrot. Like it was a goal, it was always a goal. And if you made it extended, it felt just as good as making whatever, and you could put it on your cover. And I hate that that's going. Hate. Yeah, but in your case, it is Mark, so best. Uh, I know, but I can't put it. I can't put this book when it comes to paperback New York Times bestseller for the book. I can say written by New York Times bestselling author. Yeah. You'll be okay. You think I'll be all right? Yeah, I think so. It's bugged out. Yeah. What's your overall take? How'd I do promoting this book with you say? I think you did great. I think you had a good attitude about doing anything and everything. I think it was exhausting and you just got up the next day to do it. And it's very, very long hours all day talking. It's it's hard. I think you did a good job. People don't it's not digging ditches, but talking about the same subject 25 times in a day. At the end of the day, I come up to you and I'd be like, I'm just exhausted. It's not just, the, it's not even really, I don't think talking about the same thing over and over again, although that's not interesting. It is more, you're, you're doing all the talking all day, you mm. know, that's exhausting. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. You said you're, or I think you said what my dad said, you said <clears throat> you're used to um, asking the questions, not yeah. being asked the questions. And today I recorded another episode of this podcast 
and it was my first one I recorded in a while. It was so freaking nice <laughs> to just be asking questions and not have an answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, I appreciate your support throughout this. You're always a very good backer and you give good advice. You're very smart. You're a very good promoter. And you taught me it was your idea to send people, influencers, books. And while it didn't work out for me this time, Chuck D and I are now buddies. That's my idea to follow people on Twitter so they follow you back. Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago, though. Yeah, but that was good. Mm -hmm. That was good. So, um, you know, I know I tell something. You do. Um, in conclusion, if you have a book coming out, ask for favors, call them in, bust your ass, think about it way ahead of time. Don't spend $3,000 on a website. Don't pay for that website before it's done. <laughs> um, get a good rapper to do a theme song for you and, uh, marry well. Oh, thanks. No, I was talking about you. I should marry well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, thanks, Earl. Okay. Bye-bye. I want to thank today's guest host, Kathleen Perlman, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Kathleen on Twitter, at The Family Coach, and read her book, Ignore It. Also, my new book, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty, is available everywhere now. Music is by the dazzling MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing. <laughs>